So I'm glad Eric, he was talking about how everyone in here has their issues. And I was going to talk about this in my sermon, but it's like it reaffirmed to me that this message is right. Because when he said everybody out here has their own problems and he focuses on his own, everybody has problems. Everybody has issues. Everybody has situations. And what it was in my message, which I guess I'll skip over because I'm about to talk about it right now. Everybody has them. Don't put them above God. Don't put your situations above him. Don't make it your pet thing. Like, you're the only one that understands. You're the only one that's going through it because we're all going through stuff. And that, that, that's dangerous, in my opinion, to put God down here and put your situations up here. God can do it. Have faith. He'll take care of it. And that's what we're going to go over today. We're going to be talking about, which, before I get into it, Amanda wanted me to tell this story. And we got time, so it'll only take me two or three minutes. We're talking about faith. We're talking about faith this morning. Well, we had alarms bought for our house by a family member of a man on Amanda's side. So I'm going to blame it all on them. We get them, and you put the alarms above each door. You know the kind where you open the door, and it goes boop, boop. When you open it, and you shut it. When you can set it to alarm mode, and it's like super loud, and wee, wee, wee. I can't get that high pitched. But it's very loud. So anyways, we set them up, and it was a little after 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't dismiss Children's Church. Uh, if you have a child, you can send them through Children's Church right now. Uh, uh, I think they're pretty much all gone. So I, we're, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, so I wake up pretty easily. And Amanda, she wakes up easier than I do. She sleeps like a mouse. I mean, the second she hears something, she wakes up right away. Well, anyways, we hear it go off. We look at each other. I'm talking about dead sleep, 2 in the morning, to Jared, and I, went, I know I hear it. And I turn and I think, this is it. God gave us those because he knew tonight someone was breaking in our house. Like, I thought that it's go time. Like, it's ready. So I get up. I believe in uh, having a weapon in your house to defend your children, your kids, your mom, your dad, whoever you're living with. I have one in a secured place. I got it out. Told Amanda, stay in the bedroom. I'm about to go take care of whatever's in there. She said, okay, okay. She's a super scaredy cat, by the way. So I didn't have to, at least I thought. So I get to the bedroom door. I'm about to pop to go to the kitchen. And a light comes on behind me, and I'm like, what in the world? She's behind me, holding it, turn on the light. I said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. And I said, just stay in the room. I turned the light back off because I was like, now the criminal can see me, and I can't see him. Like, that's, that breaks everything we were taught. Like, we own the night. You want to disguise you. Okay, all right, all right. So I go to the kitchen, and I'm, I'm going to the kitchen, and the light switch is right here. And before I turn it, I start to grab the corner to go, and I felt something go over my arm. It was her. She turned the light on. She's behind me again looking. I'm like, what? Stop doing that. The gig's up now. So I just busted the corner and started looking around. Nobody checked on the kids. And I asked her, I said, do you not, and it's faith. You don't have faith in me, I guess, to be able to take care of it. I was like, why did you do that? You know I can take care of what's going on. She said, it's not that I didn't trust in you or have faith. I don't know what I was doing. I was so worried about the kids. I thought if you get in this big fight in the living room, I'll get them out of the house. And I thought, if I get in this big fight in the living room, I want you to help me. But, <laughs> but it's... It is what it is. And I said, well, at least if you don't see me come out of the house first, keep running. Like, it fits him. So that means I lost and you're next. But, yeah, yeah. I love telling you guys about my life. So, anyways, today, that's, that's, a, that's it on that story. So today, we're going to be talking about the heroes of the faith, the hall of faith. And we're going through this series. And last week, we went over Abel. And I tried the stage piece out. Do you guys like that? Pretty cool. I like it. If I fall off, it's okay. Um, we went over Abel, and Abel, where he worshipped, he, he, he demonstrated his worship by faith. Well, Enoch, we're going to be going over Enoch and Noah today. Enoch, 
he, he uh, demonstrates it by walking by faith. And, it's, and it says it many times, it says it twice about Enoch in Genesis where he walked with God. And then we're going to be going over Noah. But right now we're going over Enoch, and we'll just get right into it. Um, so what is walking by faith? What does it look like? That's what we're going to be going over. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So that's, that's a big setup. It talks about that in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, when Josh first opened up the series. It's things that are not yet seen. That's what we put our faith in. So faith, if you walk by faith, to, to have faith, you're going to be tested. God's going to test you. You're going to be put in situations, taken places that you've never been. Uh, I'm living proof of it right now. If you have faith of it in, in God, he's going to push you further and further. You're going to get a little more uncomfortable, a little more uncomfortable. That's having faith. And you're, so you're going to be tested. And I know Josh, he used this demonstration last week, but I'm going to use it again this week. And when I saw him do it, I had a thought. And the thought I had was, because he talks about, I know you guys have seen this demonstration a hundred times. When you have faith, it's saying that chair is going to hold me up. You guys heard that, right? I have faith that that chair is going to hold me up, or the pews in your case. So it's going to hold you up. It's pretty stout. I'm pretty sure if I, and I thought about, what if I jumped up and I let all my weight land on it? Would it hold me up? And honestly, by looking at this, I'm pretty sure it's going to hold me if I do that. I mean, it's solid metal. I'm pretty sure. So I have faith. If I jump up in the air and I let all my weight hit it, it's going to hold me. Please don't tip over. It held me up, right? I had faith that it would. It did. Now, when, you're, when you go to God, you have to have faith that he's not going to fall apart whenever you put all your junk on him, all your sin, all your shame. When you put all your weight on him, he will be able to hold it. You have to have faith in him. Have faith that he will be able to take care of you, that he will see you through those situations. And that's what we were talking about when Eric was up here. He was talking about having problems in situations. Everybody has them. Don't put them above God. Don't put it to where no one's going to understand it. Have faith that he will take care of it, that he will take care of you, that he will see you through it. And I understand I talk faster than Ben Shapiro when I'm nervous. So if, if I'm talking too fast, I'll try to gear it down a little bit. But um, we, we need to have faith. And that's where we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. If you guys will turn there if you're not already there. I think I broke one of these. That's all right. So we're going to be going over... Enoch. That's who we'll be going over first. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, we're not given a whole lot of details about our brother Enoch. That's pretty cool. I can call him my brother. Um, we're not getting a lot of details about him in the Bible, but one thing's for sure. He had faith. He had faith, and he trusted in God. Um, if you look at chapter 5, and now we're going we're gonna to go to chapter 5 just for a minute. Actually, we'll be there for, for a minute. If you go to Genesis chapter 5 with me, um, and as you're going there, it, uh, as you're going there, Enoch, he's uh, in the line of Seth. And only offspring in Seth's line are noted as being righteous. Obviously, it wasn't Cain's line, and Abel wasn't there. And Enoch means dedication. That's what his name means. So when you get to verse 18, oh, and by the way, when you get there, this is the only place in Scripture where you'll see my name spelt just like I spelled my name, Jared. I thought it was pretty cool. So I thought maybe I should have called Sawyer Enoch. That would have been pretty sweet. That would have been a cool name. Um, so in verse 18, it reads, When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. 
Jared lived, on, <clears throat> Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years when he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. Remember that, because some people say that he didn't start his walk with God until he was three, until he, after that 65 years, because of this verse right here. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So, we see in Scripture here that uh, Enoch walked with God. That's one of the main things that I'm trying to push across right now. And the phrase, walked with God, that suggests living a life consistent with God's will and having fellowship with God. And Enoch, he had constant fellowship with God. He was constantly in God's will for 300 years. Some people say that, uh, like I talked about when we read through that, that he didn't take his walk with God, I guess, as serious until he had Methuselah. And afterwards, for that 300 years is when he got more serious about it. And I, I get that, because when you have kids, it's, like, it's nothing like having a kid and going like, oh, Lord, please help me. Forgive me of every bad thing I've ever done. Help me raise this child. <laughs> and I, I know most of you can uh, understand that. So, um, after living over 300 years, totally surrendered to God, I can't imagine the level of spiritual maturity that Enoch must have had. And I think of people that lived 100 years old, and I know some people that's lived 100 years old, and I spoke to a few of them. I had to do an interview with one of them when I was in high school. Uh, mo some of you guys know him from Gillum, Delbert Wax. Do you guys remember him? Some of you guys? I, I interviewed him, I think he was in World War II, and he was on a ship, and I got to interview him when I was in high school, because that was one of my projects, and it was, it was awesome just to get to hear, and I don't know if he was quite 100, but he was almost there, if not there, and the things that he had seen, things that he had done, it was fascinating, just the experiences that he had, and it's not just from World War II, it's just everything he had seen up until the present day, and I thought, that's a lot of things, so that got me to thinking about Enoch, and compared to Enoch's father, Jared, and his son Methuselah, compared to those two, he didn't live that long. He only lived 365 years. But that got me to thinking, what if God took him today? What if God took him in 2022 this year? What would that be like? Like It, makes, it kind of puts it into perspective of how long he walked with God. So if we go back 365 years from this year, it would put him being born in 1657. In 1657. Now I've wrote some things down of what he would have seen, what he would have went through. I looked into that. Um, so he would have already been 116 years old. That's longer than most of us will ever live. He was already would have been 116 when the Boston Tea Party took place. He would have been <clears throat> he would have been 119 years old when the Declaration of Independence was approved. He would have been 171 years old when the first public railroad system was constructed. He would have been 272 years old during the Great Depression. 282 at the beginning of World War II. 344 during the September 11th attacks, 363 years old when COVID was declared a pandemic, and 365 years old here in 2022. So he would have witnessed all those things. Now, can you imagine, like I said earlier, the amount of level or the level of spiritual maturity that Enoch must have had? Because I imagine if I only lived 100 years and I walked with God every day, close as I possibly could for 100 years. Now, you do that for 300. That's a lot of time in my book. Like, it, it might not have been back then, but to me, that's a lot of time. You can get very close to God. So, as we look back at the list of Adam's descendants, 
there are two things that really stick out about Enoch's life. You'll read twice where it says Enoch walked with God, if you look at that, and that's in verses 22 and verse 24 where it says Enoch walked with God. The second thing that sticks out, and that's what he's most famous for, is the end of his life. Now he was taken up. In verse 24, we read that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And if we look back at uh, Hebrews 11.5, which you guys don't have to turn back there because we already read it, it says, by faith Enoch was taken up, and this is just proof of Genesis. By, Enoch, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, there's only two people in the Bible that are said to have been taken up by God, and that's uh, Enoch and Elijah. Elijah. Enoch appears to have been given this amazing privilege because he was a man who walked faithfully with God. People get so caught up in why, or they, they get so caught up in, in, in the way that Enoch was taken up. They get up, caught up in the way, like, well, what happened? And nobody really knows. It's kind of a mystery, but they miss the whole point of why he was taken up, why he was taken up. And that's because Enoch believed that God is who he says he is. He had faith in God. His faith is what took him up. How he was taken up, no one, no one knows. But God took him. That's a fact. And it got me to thinking, what would our lives look like if we had that kind of faith? If we had the faith that Enoch had. What would our family life look like? What would our church look like? What would our community look like? In Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, and stay along the thoughts, keep in mind what I just said. What would your family life look like? What would our church look like? What would D-Queen look like? Keep that in mind as I say what I'm about to say now. Chapter 17, verse 19. The disciples are asking Jesus why they couldn't cast out a demon. They're like, why, why can't we cast out this demon? What's going on? And Jesus looks at them and he says in verse 20, because of your little faith. That's what he tells them. And he goes on to say, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So if the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain, can you guys imagine what that kind of faith would move in our church? I can tell you it would move a lot of hearts, and I believe it would move God's heart. But one thing's sure, one thing's for certain, it would please God. It would definitely please God, and I know that because it's in Scripture. We just read it. And it's in, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in Hebrews uh, verse 5 in chapter 11. It says, Now before he, Enoch, was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So if we had that kind of faith, think of this, what it could move. Think of what that kind of faith would do in our personal lives, in our work lives, in our church lives. And it, it just would affect everything. And I, I was thinking, and I, I didn't write any of this down, I didn't put this in my notes, but I was headed home. I don't know if you, a lot of you guys heard my testimony or not, but about, I think it, it was back in September, it's, they, they thought I had one of two things. They thought it was probably lymphoma, and I was, I was scared to death. And it's like, I, I was worried. I just worried, I worried, I worried. Anyways, fast forward to now. I was headed home. I think it was Thursday. Yeah, it was the last day of VBS. I was headed home. Everything was great. I was in this great mood. And I was driving through the pasture, and I was, it was just beautiful. And I said, God, it would be kind of cool if, if you took me right now. I'm ready. Or if Jesus came, how cool would that be? I wouldn't be scared of that. And then it hit me. I thought, why was I scared to die last year? Why was I feared? Why did I fear death? Why was I so worried? If I'm going to the same place, why am I scared? Why am I scared to die, but I'm not scared for you to come and get me? And then it hit me, and I thought of verse 
19 of chapter 17, what we just read, what Jesus told the disciples. Because of your little faith. That's what hit me as soon as I had that thought. Why are you scared? And I thought because of your little faith. That's why. That's just, an, I don't know if it's an epiphany or if God showed me that, but that, that's, that's what happened to me. I don't know if you guys thought about that or if that might be something new for you to think about, but a lot of people are cool with, Jesus, come now, come on, let's go. Second coming, I'm ready, let's go. But then if somebody gives you bad news, like you might die tomorrow, then all of a sudden you're scared to death. It's like, well, you're going to meet him either way. Why are you scared? And that, that just, it just, it still sticks with me. I still wrestle with it, and I'm still working through it ever since Thursday. Today's Sunday. I hadn't had that much time to process it. <laughs> um, so Abel, he demonstrates worshiping by faith. Enoch demonstrates walking by faith. Noah, Noah demonstrates the work of faith. That's what Noah does. And he demonstrates the work of faith through obedience. Now, before we even get started, before we even go there, let's just get one thing out of the way. We're not going to say that works can save you. Let's just go ahead and go there. And I, Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So up front, there's, we see there's nothing we can do outside of having faith, and our trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's the only way we can go to heaven. So we got that out of the way. Now, that's not to say, it's like, okay, great. All right, so I said the prayer, saved. All right, and you can be at any age. You could be 10 or you could be 90, whatever age it is. I said the prayer. They said I was saved. They said I'm going to heaven. That's my fireproof card. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to put that in my back pocket. I'm about to go live it up, party, drink, smoke, do whatever I want to go do for the rest of my life until I die, and then I'm going to cash that bad boy in and say, there it is, God, see, I got saved. Right there says the prayer. That's not a true repentant heart. Can we agree on that? That's not true repentance. True repentance is turning away from it and coming to God, not saying thank you, God, and walking away from him and going back to it and planning it out. That's why I have, and me and my mom, we've argued about it, about truly being saved. Because I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I wasn't sure about my salvation, so I got baptized a second time, and it was a gillum. Brother Bob is the man that baptized me. And, and I fought with it, and I struggled with it, and when I was in the Marine Corps, I mean, it's in, even after, I guess after I was a teenager and I got let loose on my own, it's like I was more worried about, it's like I'm sorry that I got caught, not I was actually truly sorry to God for it. Like, I, I got caught with it. I feel bad. I shouldn't have done that. And the second, every, like, the dust settled, back off to go do something I shouldn't be doing. That's, uh, and to me, that's what I struggle with. Not, it's not true repentance. Because when I truly surrendered, all of a sudden, I'm sitting up here. And it's not to say you guys would be doing that at all. It just terrified me because it's like, now it's time. I'm yours, God. Whatever you want to do with me, do it. And I thought, if I had done that, and I talked with Josh about this. Had I done that when I was 10 or 11, and I wished I would have, I would have went to, because there's so many like theological issues and debates. I love watching Christians and atheists debate each other. And I could have went to a college where I could have went in there and been, it's, it's not the same being online. I do online classes. I would like to be in the lecture halls or be there where they're having all that in person where you can ask it right then and there. Because the things that I'm interested in now, how I wish I had been interested in my teenage years. And I wish I'd have had the same faith that I had in my teenage years. So 
that's just something that I, I struggle with, and I know I shouldn't put that on my son, but I'm already like, hey, hey you want to go to seminary school? It sounds pretty good. He has, he has no idea what that is. He's like, I'm going to first grade. All right, all right, well, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So we'll get into the works of it. We're going to go through a few verses with it. Uh, in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but not have works? Can that faith save him? And if you skip down to verse 18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's it. That's it. That's, that's the ball game. And when Jesus says it, he, in, in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, when he's talking about being the vine and us being the branches, that's another thing. If somebody would, hold on, I'm going to take me a drink. Somebody have a pen or something I can borrow? Mm -hmm. Right there. Thank you. And this is the way I describe to my youth class. And I know you guys probably get it, but I'm going to go through it anyways. And this is the way that I was shown. So, and I'm going to do it, read it as I'm explaining it. So Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me, and I in you. Jesus is the vine. Everyone out here, including me, we're the branches. The branches, right here, here's a branch. So, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. That branch isn't part of the tree. It's just laying on the ground. Can it grow any fruit? No. Obvious statement. We could duct tape an apple to it or something, but it's just going to die. It's just going to rot. It's not going to be any good. So, right there, we see that apart from it can't do anything. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me... And I in him, together, he it is that bears much fruit. So as long as you're in me and I'm in you, you're going to see it. That's the works of it. You're going to see it. It's going to be obvious to everyone around you. You're going to see it. It's going to produce something. Whatever goes in is what's going to come out. Now, you could be a part of a bad tree. I believe that. Like the branch ain't a part of him. There's, there's some bad people, some bad places you could go, and it's going to bear fruit, but it's not going to be the fruit that Jesus is producing. I can promise you that. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do apart from him. Does that make sense? Thanks, Jamie. All right. So that, that's, a, that's a, about the works of it. So Noah, he demonstrates the work of faith through obedience. Now, Noah, he wasn't a, a small character in the Bible, as we all know. We all know that. He's mentioned 50 times in nine different books of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, this is the first time that the word righteous is used in the Bible. That's the first time it's used, and it's used with Noah. Noah's righteousness didn't come from any of his works, though. His righteousness came... Uh, sorry, his good works came from his righteousness. We also see in verse 9 that Noah had something in common with his great-grandfather Enoch. It also says that Noah walked with God. How cool is it to see generation after generation follow the Lord? 
And you may be the very first one. It may be everybody in your past, but you're the one. You're the one that turned it around. And everybody, starting with you, going down to your daughter, going down to your son, and you put that in them, it's not going to come back void. And if they do go away, and if they do part from the way, it's not that they don't know. That's a heart issue. We've went over that before. That's not your fault. You did everything you know. But I love to see it when you see generational obedience. And you can see it all in the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament. You can see it here today. The faith, the life of faith and obedience is called walking with God because there are steps you take. And the first most important vital step that you can take is salvation, is believing and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the first step we can make. Trusting Jesus. And after this first step, we enter a daily walk with God where he guides and directs us, much like God guided and directed Noah in building the ark. Now, people thought Noah was crazy. And this is, this is where I really love this part of the sermon. People thought Noah was crazy. They looked at him, and the area they were in, it said that there was no rain. Some of the people had never seen rain. And if they did, it was definitely not enough because they were in a straight-up desert area. There wasn't enough to flood the area, much less the earth. So they thought that when he's going around telling that and he's getting this big ark built, they think he's crazy. Can you imagine if God gave you something that sounded crazy to do in your life? Something so demanding, something that would embarrass you, something so incredibly overwhelming. Noah spent 100 years to complete one mission. One mission. That's faithfulness. To spend 100 years doing one thing that everybody thinks you're crazy for and ridicules you for. That's faithfulness. So does true faith question. I don't, many, I don't know very many people in the Bible or in modern history that has their faith tested for that amount of time. Now, to that extent, yes. But for that amount of time, I can't think of one. I don't know of one. No obeyed God's word and total faith. True faith, true, pure faith doesn't question God. So many unknowns in 100 years that Noah followed God and followed his commands. Noah wasn't an expert at giant boat making. Like, there's no way he knew how to make that big of a boat. And, there, and, there's, and in the area that he was in, they had limited supplies, which probably why it took so long. And he didn't have people knocking at the door to help him out either. He didn't have a bunch of people that could help him. He, all he had was his sons. So you just put... A couple of sons, uh, limited supplies, and a lack of knowledge. I'm sure he had plenty of excuses. God, I don't know how to make a boat. <laughs> what are you talking about? Look out here. I even if I wanted to, there's nothing to build it out of. There's just a few trees over here and there. And if I did have supplies, if I did know how to build it, I don't have enough people to help me build it. He didn't say any of that. He just did it. He had faith. He didn't question God. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you ask, why me? Why me? Like, Noah, why would you ask that of me, God? Look, I mean, look where I live. Why would you ask me to do that of all the people? Why would you ask that of me? I don't know enough about the gospel to share it with someone. I don't have the courage to confront someone about Jesus. Why would you ask me to go talk to that person? You know how they are. You know they don't like me. Why would you ask me to go talk to that person? I don't make enough money to give to that cause. Now, if whatever cause it is, between you and God, but some people, they struggle with that because I don't make enough. That's having faith. My past is too awful to surrender to full-time ministry. All the stuff I've done, all the junk I've been through, 
how could you use me? Nobody's going to take me serious. Why would you ask that of me, God? A thousand other situations where you'd ask, why me? But true faith, true faith like Noah's doesn't ask, okay, Lord, why me? I'll tell you what it asks is, okay, Lord, what's next? What are we about to do next? That's true faith. And anytime you surrender, anytime you surrender your faith, total faith in Jesus, total faith in God, you surrender everything. I surrender all. Love that song. The enemy's coming. The devil's coming. Harder than he's ever came before. He's going to throw stuff in your way that's going to distract you. And if he can't get you down, he's going he's to distract you with just stuff. Any way he can get you. The enemy's coming. I'm sure Noah, I'm sure the enemy came after him. I'm sure he was tempted. Even Jesus Christ was tempted. I'm sure he was tempted to make excuses. Just like, like I said earlier about, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I'm sure he was tempted with it. But Noah trusted God. Noah had genuine faith. You know what the craziest and most saddest story or part in the story of Noah? The saddest thing to me is not much has changed. You look around the world today, not much has changed since the day of Noah. That's what's sad. People still haven't changed their attitude toward God. And I tell you what, they won't change their attitude toward God or towards Jesus until he comes. When Jesus comes back, that's when they'll change their attitude towards him. We can see evidence of this by the words of Christ in the book of Matthew. And if you guys will turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And it's chapter 24, verses 37 through 42. We'll see evidence of what I just said. It's chapter 24, verse 37. Okay, chapter 24, verse 37. You guys are there? All right, that's good, because I'm in Luke. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. And I marked that. That's the sad part. I thought, I'll get there before they do. I look up, and I was like, what is that? That doesn't even make sense. Is you're in Luke, Jared. Oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. All right. 37 to 42, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So we see right there. So the similarities between Noah's day and our day are blatantly obvious to most of the people, most of us Christians. The similarities of it. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's not going to be that obvious to you. It's going to be foreign to you. But to us Christians, it's very obvious. We live in what people call the Bible Belt. We live here in D. Queen, Arkansas, Sevier County, Arkansas, the South in general. The South in general, we live in the Bible Belt. At least that's what they used to call it. I don't know if they still call it that anymore. But I guarantee you, if I walked down any major street of any major city or any freeway or any, anywhere, and I'm simply spreading the gospel in a loving manner, telling them that Jesus loves for you, Jesus died for your sins, come to me so we, I can talk to you guys about it. At the very least, at the very least, 
and me being in a loving way, not shouting at them, they're going to think I'm some kind of fanatic. They're going to think I'm some kind of, like, oh, he's this uppity religious guy, and I don't want nothing to do with that. They're going to reject that message. I don't want to do with it. All the way from this guy's just a fanatic, that's at the bottom end of the barrel, and all the way up to they hate you for it. They hate you for it. And Jesus says they're going to hate you because they hated me. And they're going to hate you for it. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to, they're going to think you're some guy that walks around hitting people with Bibles upside the head. They're going to, be, they're, they're, they're going to hate you. Now, in Noah's day, in Noah's day, people were violent. They were vulgar. They were murderers. They were blasphemers. And they did it everywhere all the time. Does that bring a place to mind? Does that bring anywhere in particular to your mind? I'll say it again. In Noah's day, people were violent. They were vulgar. They were liars, murderers, and blasphemers. And it was everywhere all the time. Does that not sound like the United States today? Does that not sound like the world today? That's exactly what it sounds like. The only way to survive was to get in the ark. That's the only way the people in Noah's day could survive, is to get in the ark. The ark that Noah had been telling people to get in so they wouldn't perish, but they wouldn't listen. Now picture the ark as being Jesus. Picture Noah's ark as being Jesus. John the Baptist foretold of Jesus' coming. The apostle Paul went boldly proclaiming the gospel message. These men were doing this because of their trust and faith in the Lord. Jesus says in John 3:16 that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. These men were boldly proclaiming the truth and they were killed for it. They were killed for it. People in Noah's day, they mocked him about the boat. Does that sound familiar? They mock us for loving Jesus. They mock us because we say he's coming back. Does that, is that right? Does that ring a bell? The boat was the only thing that could save them from perishing in Noah's day. Jesus Christ, he is that boat. He's the only one who can keep your soul from perishing. He's the only one who can save you, just like that boat was. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Don't miss the boat. Have faith. Believe he exists. Believe God is who he says he is. Because if not, I say the floods come to the end of the earth. When Jesus comes, he's coming back with a sword. He's coming back on a horse. On here on earth, he rode in a donkey with, and that's, that's a symbol of peace. When he comes back, he's coming in back in on a horse with a sword. Believe in him. Believe that he exists. Let's strive. Let's strive to be obedient like Noah. Let's strive to have a walk with God like Enoch had. Let's strive to have that kind of faith, not just in our own lives, not our own individual lives, but as a church, as a church family. I love everybody in here. When I see people come in, I know I'm not a person's person. I'm not, I'm not a very, I guess I'm not very outgoing. I don't know what it is. I'm not a very charismatic person, but I love the truth. I love reading the Bible. I love what's in it. I love teaching and telling people about it. I don't think it takes a very charismatic person to get across from that, but I love each and every one of you, and I want the best for you, and I want the best for our church. Now, churches aren't perfect, and I've seen a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I put on Facebook last night, and then when I find a church that perfect, the second I walk in, it's not going to be perfect anymore because I was spoiled it the second I walked in it. So if we look back at verse 6 of chapter 11, we read in Hebrews, and I'm going to finish, I'm going to get close to close here. This is the verse that I opened up with when I was standing up right here. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those 
who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you looking after? What are you, what, what's your main focus in life? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it God? Is it Jesus? What, what's your main attention? What do you give your primary attention to? Better question is, who are you seeking? There's one thing I can tell you with complete and total confidence. If you seek God, you will find him. And some people debate me on that, but I got two verses that tell me otherwise. Unless you can debate this right here. In Proverbs 8.17, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. It doesn't say from, for those who seek me from time to time. It says those who seek me diligently will find me. And that's where people get caught up. They look for him for a little bit. God's not answering my prayers. God's not there. He don't exist. God's not real. I'm done. That's not it. Seek him diligently. And in Jeremiah chapter, 30, chapter 29, verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not half-heartedly, with all your heart. Wholeheartedly seek him for him. You will find him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here as we open up for invitation. And we're all going to inherit something. We're all going to inherit, inherit something when we die. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It makes me think of Noah when they were mocking Noah for all that. Well, God's not mocked either. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So I ask you, what are you sowing into? What are you putting all your work into? What are, whatever you put into, what are you going to inherit from that? What are you seeking for? Who are you seeking? Have you totally repented of your sins and turned to Christ? True repentance. Not like I was talking about earlier, where you just do it just to get it out of the way, and I sign the card, I'm good to go, now it's time to go party, and that's it, I'll see you when I die. Or is that it? You guys need to, to come up here and, and pray for someone. You guys need to come up here and, and just get right with God or recommit your lives to God because it's just been on your heart that I've been backsliding, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be going there, I shouldn't be with those people. And I think that coming up here, there's not, this, this altar doesn't have any special power. It's kind of like baptism doesn't save you, but God sees it and it pleases him. He sees that you're coming in front of everybody and, that nobody, and it doesn't matter what other people think. When you come up here and you're praying with God, you've got a family member that you're worried about going to hell, and you're coming up here and you're praying to God, I wouldn't be worried about what everybody else is thinking. Oh, I wonder what's going on in their life. Oh, I wonder what, wonder what he or she's been doing to be up there at that altar. That should be the last thing on your mind. All that should matter is what's between you and God. So if you've got business to take care of up here, come up here and pray. I'll be up here to pray with you. If you're not saved and you know you're not saved, get up here. Don't wait till it's too late. Like I said, I love each and every one of you. If you have a need, if you have a problem, you have an issue, and it's something I can help you with, come up here and talk to me.